Alrighty. Uh, well, let's pray. God, we pray that you would open up our eyes tonight and uh, speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Help us all to hear what you want to say to us and then to just receive. I pray that you would be glorified. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Wednesday nights, we're going through a book a week, give or take a few. And so tonight finds us at week number five. That brings us to the book of Deuteronomy. And Larry was talking right before worship about, you know, he's been thinking about Deuteronomy this week and chewing on it. And really most of what I've been chewing on this week is a stupid kid's song about Deuteronomy that's been stuck in my head all week long. Um, Yeah, uh, that's now the book of Deuteronomy, you know. Written by Moses at the age of 120. You know, it's translated into English from Hebrew for you and me. However, God, I will lose the rest of it. But I didn't, so anyways, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's a very small window of what my brain looks like 98% of the time. So be thankful you don't see the rest of it. Um, anyways, so that brings us to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Old Testament. It's written by Moses. It's the last book of what's known as the Pentateuch, um, which is uh, sometimes you'll hear referred to as the Torah. It's really just, it's the five books of Moses, what they'll call it sometimes. But um, the word Deuteronomy itself actually means second law. And so if you can remember the context, you know, the book of Numbers, uh, the Israelites almost went into the promised land and then they decided they didn't want to because uh, there was too much adversity. And so as a consequence of disobeying the Lord, they had to wander around in the desert uh, for 40 years until that whole generation died off and a new generation rose up. And so as Deuteronomy opens up, basically that entire generation has died off. The entire new generation has been raised up and they are now getting ready to go into the promised land. All right. But Moses is not going to go in with them. And so Basically, what happens, the context of Deuteronomy is Moses gathers the people together, and over a period of about 40 days, he gives them a series of sermons, all right? And these are basically the things you guys need to know going forward. And so we referenced last week, you know, in a lot of ways, Numbers is sort of a book about preparing for war, right? Or it was supposed to be in its, in its fullness before the people disobeyed. Deuteronomy is similar, but really it's more like preparing for victory, and um, there's just a shift that happens as Moses is, is teaching the people because in Numbers, as he's giving them you know, the exhortations and the final elements of the law, there's a sense of, hey, we are getting ready to go in and I will be leading you guys in and so here's what we're going to do, right? But there's a shift now in Deuteronomy where Moses can't say that because the Lord has told Moses, you're not going in. So instead of it being, hey, here's what we're going to do, it's, hey, here's what you're going to need to know. Right, and so it's just, it's just a different context. If you think of it like a, like a business, you know, the CEO stands up and says, "Hey, here's our vision for the year." Right. Well, that's a certain kind of of idea that he's going to be presenting. If a CEO says, "Hey, I'm retiring, and we're going to be handing it off to whoever," and before I retire, I'd like to leave you with a few thoughts, he's going to be covering some different stuff. Right. He's going to be approaching it from a different perspective because he's seeing it with a different set of eyes because he's not going forward with you. And so it's the same idea with Moses. These are Moses' last words. They're Moses' last sermons. And so, um, you know, the Bible, the Scripture gives us several different court instances of different men's uh, final words. And they're always just very, you know, I mean, the whole Scripture is given by God, right? So it's all powerful. But there's something just very special about um, 
when some of these authors are writing a book and they know it's their last one, right? Paul, when he wrote 2 Timothy. Peter, when he wrote 2 Peter. Um, Moses here. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of, I expect you guys to be listening because what I have to say is important, right? And this is my final shot to say it. And so Moses is giving that. He's giving a series of sermons to the children of Israel. And... um, yeah, so really, you know, just but keep that in mind as you're coming to them. Numbers and Deuteronomy are very similar books, but Numbers has more of that, hey, we're going to war feel. And Deuteronomy has more of a, you guys are going to need to be faithful. And in that sense, it's super relevant for each one of us because each one of us do not have Moses beside us, right? We have the, you know, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the fullness of Jesus Christ. We have all of that. But what we're reading is instruction that's been handed to us Okay, and so there is that sense that it, this applies to us in a very real way because we need to be faithful, right? This is the book for preparation for victory. Next week's going to be Joshua. Joshua is all about walking in victory. Deuteronomy is all about preparing for victory. And so um, <clears throat> the book itself, if we're looking at for an overview and you want to try and break it down, um, it pretty much breaks down into four chunks. There's basically three different sermons, and they're not individual sermons because Moses gave them over a period of time, but there's kind of three different sermon categories, and then there's a little finale that just wraps up Moses' life. We get um, the final chapter of Deuteronomy is actually, most people would say, written by Joshua, and it's basically Moses' eulogy in his obituary. says, you know, Moses died, here's what happened, right? Just kind of the final little blurb on his life. But, um, But more or less, you can think of it as three sermons and a finale. All right, so sermon number one takes place from roughly chapters one to three. Um, and some of these, these are general outlines. They're not like, you know, some books have a much tighter, like point A, point B, point C. Deuteronomy does, but it's a little bit looser, so I'm going to be working a little more in generalities, okay? So roughly chapters one through three are sermon number one. And um, really what Moses is doing is he's reviewing the past. He's saying, okay, guys, hey, we're here today. Right? We're getting ready to go into the promised land. Let's just back up a little bit and see where we're at. And so there's a couple of just really key points that he brings up. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2, he says, It's 11 days journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. All right? So he's just a little reminder, hey, you know, we were supposed to take an 11-day trip, and we managed to turn it into a 40-year wandering. But he's reviewing their past. And then um, really sort of the key verse uh, in this section is chapter 1, verse 6. And a very similar, it's almost an identical verse, is chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Um, but in chapter 1, verse 6, it says, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey, and go to the hill country of the Amorites. And then uh, in chapter 2, verse 2, it says, And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You've circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north. So there's this idea, hey, we've been wandering for 40 years. And now the Lord's saying, hey, you know what? You, you've done enough wandering. It is time to head to the promised land, right? You've circled the mountain long enough. You guys have been wandering long enough. Wandering time is over, right? And if we want to prepare for victory in our lives, right? I mean, it's such a beautiful way to open the book, right? Because so many of us can find ourselves wandering just in different seasons of life, through different challenges, whatever, you just kind of get to where you wander, right? You, I mean, it's, it's really natural. Your body breathes without really thinking about it, right? You just kind of go in and out. 
and the sun keeps coming up, it keeps going down. You keep going to work Monday through Friday, you get Saturday off, you get Sunday off. If you go to church, it's kind of not quite like having Sunday off. But, you know, then Monday comes around, you go back to work, and, and you can find yourself in this cycle of just wandering, right? Just like, yeah, I'm existing, right? And, but if, but as, the, as Moses is giving the people instruction to prepare them for victory, he says, hey, you've wandered long enough right? You've stayed long enough. It's time to set your journey. It's time to set your course. It's time to say, here is where the Lord has called us. Here is where we're going, right? We don't have just, we're not just going in circles. We have an objective, all right? So that's what Moses is reminding them. But the first three chapters, he's saying, okay, guys, here's what we did. Here's where we messed up. Here's where, you know, the people, your, your parents disobeyed. They didn't get to go in. So you guys find yourselves here. So sermon number one really is looking to the past, Sermon number two is chapters roughly four through 26. It's, it's kind of it's the longest chunk. And through it, he will sometimes reference back to the past and say, hey, you know, remember when you did this and the Lord did this and that kind of thing. But overall, chapters four through 26 are all about how to have victory in the present. All right, so he's saying, okay, here's what you need to know for today. Here's what you need to know for your life right now. And so chapter, so we're just gonna, hit a couple highlights. But chapter 4 starts, starting in verse 1. And he says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform, so that you may live and go in to take possession of the land which it, the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. So, first, first verses on the sermon for living and victory in the present. You don't add to the word of God. You don't subtract from the word of God. Right? Moses says, okay, if you guys are going to walk in victory, here's what you need to know. The word of God has preeminence. And you're going to find victory by establishing yourself, by rooting and grounding yourself in the word of God. Chapter 5, um, verse 1 through 3. Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking to you today, in your hearing that you may learn them and observe them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. The Lord did not make a covenant with our, this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. Now, this is interesting because, you know, you got to remember, Moses tells them this, but put it in context, all right? Moses is talking to a brand new generation. And Moses says, hey, you've got to remember something, guys. As we're going in, as we're preparing for victory, the things that the Lord said, he said them to you. He didn't say them to your parents. Now, the Lord had said them to their parents. So Moses isn't lying here. He's not contradicting what the Lord has said, but he's making a point of emphasis, which is that the word that the Lord has given is for the present generation. It is not something that you look back on and say, you know what, that was great for my parents. It's not something that you look back on and say, wow, the Lord really was speaking then. Moses says, the word, the covenant which God made, he made it with you. He made it for you. He made it for today. Okay? So if we're preparing to walk in victory, we've got to understand this. Because so often it's easy to say, well, you know, I remember when God was doing something. Or I remember, you know, being at this church or, or you know, this season of life and the Lord was really doing something. Right? Well, Sure, that's great. And again, you know, Moses spent some time looking to the past. But the vast majority of this book is going to be about looking to the present, about saying, what is God doing now? Okay? So 
If we want to understand what God is doing now, if we want to walk in victory now, well, we start by honoring and revering the Word of God. But then we've got to understand it's not just enough to respect it, right? Respect is what happens to things in museums. You put them behind glass, right, with, you know, humidity-controlled environments, and you have a lot of respect for them. But there's a difference between respect and an understanding that this is for me today, right? When something's in a museum, you look at it and you talk about it as a relic. I'm saying that was so interesting, right? If you go to a, a weapons museum, whatever, you look at the swords and the, and the chain mail and you say, wow, that's so interesting. I wonder what it would have been like to fight in that back then. And all the verbs you're using, all, everything you're describing is a past tense occurrence, right? So it's very important if we're preparing to walk in victory, we don't say, I wonder what it would have been like to have victory with the Lord back then. Okay, and again, I'm, it's, I'm not saying it's bad to look backward, but you can only look backward for the sake of of looking forward, right? Looking backward just for its own sake is destruction. That's how you get stuck, right? So he says you've got to understand that the word is for us, that our relationship with God has to be today. God, you know, God describes himself as I am, not as I was and not as I will be. I am in a completely present moment. God is present in the fullest sense at every point. When he talks to Moses at the burning bush, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And those guys had been dead for centuries at this point, but he says, I'm still their God, right? Because I am present right now. I am here today. And I am interested in communicating with you because I am interested in you walking in victory today, right? In this moment, here and now. So what we're talking about is not for the super spiritual elite. It's not for the people who lived at the time of the book of Acts, we're talking about a, a book that applies to us today. And then in chapter six, um, again, still in this same sermon chunk, um, there's just a beautiful passage that's really, uh, that everybody, you know, you don't necessarily have to memorize it, although it's a great verse to memorize, but you should at the very least be aware of Deuteronomy six. All right, Deuteronomy six, starting in verse four, says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You're going to see, as we're reading through Deuteronomy as a church, uh, we'll get there in probably about a month. Um, the word hear keeps coming up because Moses keeps telling them, hey, you guys hear this. Remember. He's going to keep calling their attention. He's saying, you guys focus. You listen. What I'm having to say right now has worth. It has merit, and it's worth paying attention to. So hero Israel, here's something you need to know. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Listen up, guys. This is important, right? Moses is saying, this is serious. I'm not going to be around forever, so you make sure you remember this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Verse 6, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons uh, and daughters by implication, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Moses says, guys, if you want to remember something, right? you remember who God is, but then you remember that by way of the honor you pay the word of God. All right? You remember the word of God. And you don't just, you know, again, it's not a past tense application. 
You live it right now. You bring it face to face. You make it the thing you think about. When you're waking up, your focus should be the word of God. When you're walking or driving to work, your focus should be the word of God. When you're talking to your kids, your focus should be coming back around to the word of God. Right? When you're putting up artwork on your walls, there should be an emphasis on the word of God. Right? Everything we do should be in the context of the relevance of the word of God for our lives today. And he doesn't say the fun parts. He doesn't say the nice parts. He doesn't say the cute parts or the parts that look good in a nice font on your wall. He says the word, right? The entire word of God is what we need in order to walk in victory in the present tense, right? And God is interested in having a relationship with us in the present tense. God wants us right now. I was, I was listening to, I was reading an interview actually today and a guy was talking about his dad. He said, one of the things, he said, the mistake my dad made um, for most of his life was that he thought he was going to be invincible. And so he thought he'd have a lot more time to say the things that he needed to say. Right? So he didn't bother telling us that he loved us because he figured, A, we knew, and B, he'd have plenty of time to tell us. And he said, now the Lord worked in my dad's heart, and, and there was a lot of restoration that happened. But my dad, he said, my dad died at the age of 60. Right? And those last five years were great. The Lord restored that. But that guy, that dad, made the same mistake that a lot of us are making subconsciously, right? I'll be around. I'll have time to get into the Word of God. I'll take it seriously at some point. Or I'll take all of it seriously at some point, right? I'll, I know it's relevant, so I will get around to reading it. I'm going to try to read it all the way through next year, right? We, we love to, you know, somebody once said, everybody's ready to die today, tomorrow, Right? Like, there's this idea that, oh yeah, it's, it's totally real, it's totally relevant, therefore, I'll start taking it seriously on Monday. Right? But if you want to live in victory, you take the Word of God seriously right now. Okay? So if you, so if you, you know, if you don't have one, pick up the Through the Bible in a Year pamphlet. Tomorrow puts us on, my movement, where does tomorrow put us? Tomorrow's Leviticus chapters 4, 5, and 6. Right? What's more exciting than Leviticus 4, 5, and 6, right? So, um, but it's relevant, okay? The Word of God is speaking to us. If if you don't like the idea of reading Leviticus, well, read Leviticus anyways. And if you find it a little hard to wrap your head around, then skip over to the New Testament and read something out of the Gospel of John. Read something out of Colossians or Thessalonians or Philippians, right? Okay, read the whole Word. Uh, Moses is going to say later on, he's going to instruct the priest, you make sure that at least every seven years you go through the entire word of God with the people. Right? The people need to hear the entire word of God on a regular, recurring basis. And the same thing is totally true in our lives. So that's sort of the sermon for the present. All right? We take the word of God seriously. We make the word of God a priority in our lives. We understand that it's for today. All right? But then Moses says this really interesting thing. Is sermon number three um, is all about looking to the future. And sermon number three takes place in chapters roughly 27 uh, through 30. And 27, uh, it has them do this weird thing that probably would have been insanely cool to watch in real time. Um, he says, when you guys go into the land, all right, there's a mountain over here and a mountain over here. And I want six of the tribes to stand on this mountain. And I want six of the tribes to stand on this mountain, and I want the Levites to stand in the middle. And you guys are going to shout back and forth at each other the blessings and the cursings of the law of God, right? Which would have been pretty darn epic, I think, to have, you know, a million people over here and a million people over here, and you get the priest in the middle, like, your turn, your turn, right? Um, 
But he gives them, he says, you're gonna say, you know, you guys are all gonna say, cursed is the man who does this. And this whole mountain's gonna shout, amen. Right, you're gonna go back and forth and you're gonna reiterate the law of God to each other. You're gonna speak it and declare it to each other. All right, so he's looking to the future. He's describing, what are you gonna do? You're, gonna, you're going to continue to take the word of God seriously. Chapters 28 and chapters 29, Moses talks then about more of the blessings and cursings of the law. And it's interesting because we kind of have to, whenever you get to blessings and cursings, you've got to pause and understand a couple of things. So the Lord makes a covenant with the nation of Israel. And he makes a couple different ones. So he makes conditional covenants and he makes unconditional covenants. All right? A conditional covenant is like when you buy a house, right? Two different parties agree to mutual terms. And as long as both parties meet all the requirements, the deal goes through. Okay? You bring the check, they bring the keys, you trade you walk away, all right? But you both have to do your part. An unconditional covenant is a one-sided covenant where one party takes all the responsibility and the other party takes none of the responsibility. So the Lord makes both with the nation of Israel, all right? He tells Abraham, you're gonna, out of you is gonna be a multitude of people. It's gonna be like the stars in the heaven or the sand in the seashore. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That was an unconditional covenant. That was one-sided. God made that promise. It didn't matter what happened after that. That seed was coming, right? Jesus was coming through the line of Abraham. Nothing was going to be able to stop that. But there's conditional promises too, where the Lord says, all right, here's the deal. I'm about to send you into the land. If you do what I tell you, I'm going to establish blessings. If you don't, there are going to be consequences. And so we get to see this if you want to walk in victory in the future, you need to sow the seeds that will reap blessings. And this is, uh, this is important to clarify because, you know, in, in cultural Christianity, we love to identify blessings um, as things that make us happy, right? And if we're really spiritual, we don't actually say that, but we mean it, right? What's a blessing? Well, a blessing is a low-stress marriage, or a blessing is a something or whatever. I don't know. Um, that's a fun one because I'm single, so I can just assume that's a blessing. Um, you know, a blessing is plenty of money. A blessing is a great house. A blessing is a fun vacation. No, those are not blessings. Those are perks. Those are nice, right? But what, what, those are blessings? No. No, what are the blessings? Blessing is the goodness of God, all right? Pour it out on your life. Now, it's very important that we understand as Christians that the rain, as the Bible says, the rain falls on the evil and the just. Okay, good things and bad things happen to people in life. And sometimes they just happen. So you can't say, if I serve the Lord, my life will be great. Or if I serve the Lord, my life will always be happy. That's not the understanding of blessings. But what you can say is that the Lord has made promises in his word. And, I can, and, and one of them is that whatever you sow, you will reap. And so you can sow with an eye toward reaping the goodness of God. Or you can sow with an eye toward reaping the consequences of bad decisions, right? You can, you can plant seeds in your life that are going to reap fruit. You can plant disciplines and habits and actions that are going to lead to just well-being, right? You can lay down physically. You can lay down healthy traits in your life that are statistically going to make you live longer and have a better life. You can lay down bad habits that are statistically going to shorten your lifespan, right? Um, but, but there's an idea here that Moses is carrying out that spiritually... You can, sow, you can sow and you will reap, right? You are free to make whatever choice you want in life. You are not free from the consequences of that choice, 
right? Everybody's free. You can do whatever you want. It's completely, nobody, nobody can stop you. You can do whatever you want. But you will reap the consequences of whatever you do, right? And so we live in a world that tries to divorce the idea of consequences from, from action, and that's why, that's, frankly, that's why we have the abortion industry. Because you can't have uh, unlimited ideas about free love unless you have a way to remove the consequences. And babies are just a natural consequence of free love. And so the world has tried to remove these consequences and say, hey, no, we can just find a way to conveniently make consequences disappear. But oh, by the way, uh, we didn't mention the fact that... Uh, that there's lifelong trauma that's often associated with having an abortion, and we'll just kind of cover that up and pretend that no woman ever has to wrestle with that, right? The world wants to say, hey, you can love whoever you want, and if a man wants to love a man, that's completely fine. But oh, by the way, statistically, if you do that, you're going to shave 20 years off your lifespan, right? That's not being cruel. That's just this flat-out statistic, all right? But we want to remove the consequences. We want to hide these consequences behind this wall of invisible facts. And the Lord says, no, you're going to sow and reap. So if you go into the land, if you want to walk in victory, then you sow with an eye toward victory, okay? If we want to walk in victory in life, then we take the steps that the Lord has laid out for us, the things that he's established, the things he's given us, right? Meditate on the word of God. Everything that Moses talks about in the present, okay, everything about honoring the word of God, if we lay those down as habits, we're going to reap the rewards that come from an established relationship with God, okay? So we can invite the blessings of God or we can invite the judgments of God. That's where Moses is going in this last sermon. And then that brings us up to, um, to really sort of the finale for Moses, um, chapters 31 through 34. And chapters 30, chapter 31, verse six, Moses says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them speaking of the enemies that they're going to face. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Now remember again, this is Moses' final words to the people. All right, Moses is appointing a new leader after leading the people for 40 years. Right? We have a you know, presidential cycle that lets a president be in office for four to eight years. And when things shift after that, especially if there's a transfer of, from one party to the other, it's this whole big drama over, well, how much are they going to undo and what's going to happen, right? Imagine if we'd had a president for 40 years, okay? Imagine if the last time we had an election was 1982, and we're getting ready to get a new leader. There's going to be a lot of anxiety associated with that, right? A lot of, I have no idea what is coming next, Right? Moses is getting ready to hand over the reins to Joshua, and his point is, hey, no, no, I'm not handing over the reins to Joshua. I've never been the leader. I've been management. I was never the owner, right? Moses says, hey, the Lord is still with you. So as Moses is wrapping up, these are just some, I just love some of these thoughts of Moses as he's kind of giving his final, final farewells. The things you guys need to remember above all else, the Lord is still with you. Right? If you're going to walk in victory, hey, be strong and courageous. He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, your enemies are like totally no big deal. He doesn't say, hey, you know, the, the hard things in life, they're just completely all in your head. Right? No, he says, hey, you be strong and courageous because the Lord is on your side. Moses doesn't minimize the challenge. Moses emphasizes the Lord, right? Which is... The, really the only real way to walk in victory. Because if we try and minimize the challenge, and sooner or later, you know what? Reality sets in, and it's brutal, right? The only way to walk successfully through life is to emphasize the Lord, to say, you know what? This is rough, 
but God is bigger. This is a huge problem. This is a huge relationship. This drama is massive. I can't get through this. Oh, wait, I'm not the leader, right? I'm maybe management. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, most of us aren't quite at the management level. Um, but the leader is still the same, right? God is still in control. And so Moses here says, hey, guys, just don't forget. God's still in control. And then he ends his life, chapter 32, is this whole worship song of Moses's, just declaring who the Lord is and what he's done, right? As Moses is wrapping up his life, he does a couple things. He worships the Lord. Chapter 33, he blesses the people. Moses spends his final words, his final breaths, worshiping God and encouraging people. Wouldn't that be a great finale to your life, right? What, you know, what, did, what did he die doing? He died worshiping the Lord and blessing people. That's the... F- that's, a, that's it. That's great. And then we wrap up with chapter 34. And just gives us this little couple paragraphs. Basically says, Moses went up on the mountain. He died and the Lord buried him and nobody knows where the grave is. And that's the finale. Okay. And then it just ends and says, you know, there really was nobody like Moses who had ever performed as many signs or had a relationship with the Lord. The Lord never spoke to anybody else like he did to Moses. Right? The Lord spoke to Moses face to face in a sense, like an actual dialogue conversation. Right? The Lord talked and Moses could hear and say, wait, could you clarify the point? The Lord would say, sure, here's what, I, here's what you need to understand. And, and Moses and the Lord could have conversations. Right? The Lord gave Moses words. By the time Moses died, he could say, I wrote the entire Bible. Right? Moses had a relationship with the Lord that nobody else has ever had. But Moses finished his life blessing people and worshiping the Lord. And that's Deuteronomy in a nutshell. But lastly, as we're just kind of looking, you know, where is Jesus Christ in the book of Deuteronomy? Um, well, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of ideas that, that convey that. You know, the whole, you know, we've talked about with Numbers and with Joshua, that idea that, you know, the law, if Moses is symbolic of the law in some ways, the law can't take us into the promised land or the land of victory. That's something that only Jesus can do. And so Joshua is the picture of that. But there's another idea, and that is that, you know, when we're talking about how to have victory in the present, the emphasis is the word, right? The emphasis is the word of God. Well, John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus is in, in a very real sense, the word of God. The, the scriptures are the message of God. Jesus is the message and the messenger. So he is, in, so he's, you know, if you're holding your Bible, you're not holding Jesus, right? But in a very real sense, Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the means by which God communicates to us. So as we're looking at how to have victory in the present, Moses is saying, hey, you honor the word. You take the word like it's for, for right now. You revere it, you respect it, and you use it on a day-to-day basis, Right? Well, the exact same thing should be true of our relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? What should we do? We should be honoring the person of Jesus Christ, right? He's not the fun guy. He's not the guy who came to make our lives happy. He came to make us holy. He came to bring us into a relationship with God the Father, right? The leader, okay? So if we want to have victory in the present, we take the word of God seriously, but we also take the word very seriously, right? And so everything that we apply to the idea of taking the scriptures seriously, we tell the same sense, we take Jesus Christ very seriously, right? We revere him, we respect him, and we live as if he is relevant for our presence, 
right? And this is honestly, this is probably one of those things that, uh, that is easier for me to say than apply, right? Because I totally understand, well, as much as anybody can, I guess, I understand salvation, right? I understand that Jesus came to save me from my sins and that when I die, I go to heaven because of what Jesus did. That's great. That is selling it really short if we stop there, right? Jesus did not just come for our futures. Jesus came for our present. Jesus came for right now. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's not, I'm the way, the truth, and the future. He's the life. If you're alive right now, Jesus is here for you to have life. He said, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. John, in one of his epistles, says, hey, you know what? It's, it's really not clear what we're going to be. None of us really know what we're going to look in heaven, but it's clear what we're becoming. We're becoming conformed to the image of Christ today. So in the same sense that we live with the Word of God, we live with an awareness and an expectation. When we come to the Word of God, we expect it to have something relevant to say to our lives today. When we come into that relationship with Jesus Christ, we expect Him to have something relevant to say to us today. Right? We expect, we live with expectation because He came that we could have life and have it more abundantly. So Jesus Christ is sprinkled all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is all about the Word of God. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? So, Deuteronomy is all about Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for... uh, your faithfulness in bringing it to us through all these generations. We thank you for uh, the covenants that you've made with your people. We thank you that we can rest in the promises that you've made for us. We thank you that we have that relationship with Jesus Christ, that we can enter into the promised land and enter into victory. God, I pray that you would help us to, to live that victory, to live it out, to, to enter into the promised land. God, if we've been circling the mountain, I pray that we would stop, that we would turn north, that we would set our course, that we would set our eyes on you, that we would run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. God, I pray that you'd be glorified in our lives, that you would just move in our midst in a powerful way, that you would transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. So have your way with us, go before us, and it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.